Well, good morning, church. It's always good to see you all here to worship together. I want you to think uh, for a moment here. What is something in your life that maybe somebody asked you to do, but you didn't want to do it because it sort of scared you? Maybe you were hesitant about trying something. Maybe a new task. Maybe it's just getting on a roller coaster. I don't know. What is it that you're, you looked at and you're like, I don't know if I could do this. And you hesitated. What, what was that moment? What if, what if I said, you need to come up here for 20 minutes and talk to the church? Could you do it? Or would you like, I don't know. Or I said, you know what, uh, worship team, we need another singer. I need somebody to come up here right now and sing a solo. You know, would you do it? Someone was like, no way. I couldn't do it. I mean, that scares me, right? What is it that causes your, your hands to start sweating, start getting a little nervous? What is it that God's asked you to do? And you're like, yeah, I don't know, God. I know what you want me to do. That's scary. That's really scary. Well, grab your Bibles. I'm going to ask you to turn to Joshua chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back by the blessings box. We can get those for you if you need them. Open up if you've got a smartphone. You can always go to the Bible app, whatever you want to do. Joshua chapter 3. Because we're going to look in Joshua and we're going to learn about this, basically what I was asking you, these questions. How do you handle this situation that might scare you? Joshua, when I say Joshua, some of you are like, oh, that's that book that talks about, um, I know, conquering a new land, going into a promised land, right? But this book has more than that. It's, it's also about trust and obedience. And as God speaks to Joshua, he is speaking to us. He's encouraging us to be filled with, with courage and to be filled with peace. And we read this in his word, and, and there's a reassurance, and that's a guarantee we all need. And God gives us, as we look into this book of Joshua, he gives us all we need. He gives us his word, the Bible. And we have the incredible responsibility and privilege to read it, to memorize it, to meditate on it, to study it, to share it with others. But as we read in God's word, we discover God's amazing grace. You know, you think about this, all through history, God has these rescue missions, right? We all know we deserve wrath, God's wrath for our sins, the things that we've done that have separated us from God. But God says, I know what you deserve, but I'm going to give you something else. That's called grace. And it's, it's amazing, right? And we looked at the story of Rahab last week. Remember Rahab the prostitute? It's like, oh, that's in the Bible? Yes. And God reaches to somebody like Rahab and says, I've got a rescue plan for you as well. And not only did we learn about how God rescued Rahab, he also, the command was then for what? For us then to take the grace that God's given us and to share that grace with other people. Because once rescued, once we have new life in Christ, it's not just about, oh, I'm saved, I got eternal life. Eternal life is now, not down the road. It's right now. And we're able to live that life. Now we get to show the grace that God's given us. We get to show that grace to other people. Whoever it is, doesn't matter. It could be that person that pushes your buttons, right? It could be, it could be a family member. It could be a co-worker. It could be a Democrat or a Republican. You thought I was going to stop there. It could be of anybody of any political background. You name it. It could be a prostitute like Rahab. It could be a murderer like Saul. 
who is God asking you to share God's grace to? Because we all have those people, it's like, I don't know if I can show them any more grace. Yeah, you can, because God's got unlimited grace. And he's shown it to us, of all people who need it. So we need to awaken to, to God's call in our life. We need to understand that God has rescued us, given us the chance to taste his grace so that we can share that grace with other people. He's called us as Christians to shine in a dark world. He's called us to move forward in life. And as we do that, it's like, well, let's follow our mission that we have here at this church. We we summed it up in four simple words, love God, love others, right? So let's go do this, right, church? But then there's something that's stopping us. What is it that's stopping us from doing that? We're equipped. We got God's spirit in us. What is in front of us that says, I don't know. It's a little scary, right? What's keeping you from taking that next step? When your Bibles, Joshua chapter 3, let's look at verse 1. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left the Achaia Grove, arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp. Now, I want you to understand this. The children of Israel, they arrived at the banks of the Jordan River. I mean, this is exciting for them, right? It's like we've been wandering for 40 years because we didn't listen the first time. Now we're here. We're at the bank of the river, of the Jordan River. And it's like, let's stop. They didn't just stop. They set up their tents again. And they camped. It says they camped three days by the Jordan River. Like chapters 1 and 2, it's like God's been preparing them and pumping them up. And, and it's like, listen, you're going to enter this new land and you're going to conquer it. And like, yes, yes, we are, right? Preparations have been made. Precautions have been taken. And here they are right now. And it's time to move. And they move. And then they camp at the river. Well, I don't, I don't blame them before any of you cast judgment on them. We have to understand what, the, what it looked like, what they are facing the Jordan River was at flood stage. This is a picture of the Jordan River at flood stage. Moving pretty quick there. Some people would call those maybe class four or five rapids, right? Oh, remember, they just, they don't have a bridge. They don't have a boat. They got, they got all their stuff and they're going to cross. <laughs> now maybe we understand why they camped. They're like, yeah, I know what God said, but yeah, no, right? It's like a Red Sea reminder. Years before, their parents, grandparents probably talked about the Red Sea. You couldn't see across the Red Sea, but God opened up the Red Sea, right? Where they're like, I can see the other side of the river, but look what's in between us and there. Yeah, I know what God did 40 years ago, but I don't know about this right now. This is an obstacle I've never seen before, and I don't know how to move forward when I'm facing something like this. And then, isn't that true for us, though? I mean, sometimes, see, we want to go places we've never been and do things we've never done, but we don't want to do the things we have to do to achieve that. See, that's the job of a teacher. We've got teachers in here. We've got coaches in here. See, your job as a teacher or a coach is to help people to achieve things they've always wanted to achieve, but not, what, do the things they want to do to get there? You have to do that. I want a championship. Okay, but you're going to have to work. You have to do all these things to get the championship. Well, I don't know if I can do that. If you want to achieve it, you're going to have to work for it. You want to pass this class? You want to get a good grade? Then, as the teacher does, the teacher helps them to achieve something that you want to achieve, but you don't want to do all the work to get there. Well, good luck, teachers, coaches, right? And God's sort of sitting there going, I've got something for you. And everybody's like, but I don't want to do it. It's like, I'm going to have to help you, right? 
Regardless of the degree of difficulty, we got to do something, right? We can't just sit there. We just can't stay in our tents and camp, right? Remember, there's a lot of anticipation and joy for finally getting there. It's like, we made it. We made it. There's the promised land. There's all this excitement. And then it's time to leave that, that desert place. And there's like, we're here, we're here. You know, it's like waiting for that holiday, waiting for that vacation. By the way, 342 days till Christmas, in case you're counting, okay? A little anticipation for next year's Christmas. I get it, okay? That's me. But 40 years? 342 days, that's a long time, but 40 years and you're finally there. Who's the first one to jump into that river and say, I'll try it, right? Well, they camped there for three days. What are they waiting for? Let's read. Verse 2, three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, move out from your position and follow them. Verse 4. Since you've never traveled this way before, they'll guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them. Keep a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Okay, here we go. We got instructions now. We're camped. And God's like, all right, got to give you instructions, get you moving forward. So here's the instructions. I'm going to skip the first instruction. I'm going to go right to instruction number two. Instruction number two is this. When God moves, you move. It's pretty simple. See, when you see the ark move, which is the presence of God symbolized, that's when you move. When you see godly things happening, church, when you see God at work, let's go. Right? What are we waiting for? Well, I see everybody's getting fired up, but I don't know if I should. If you see God at work, move with him. Go with him, right? The ark, we have to understand this was symbolic of God's presence. When you look at the ark, we understand from Exodus chapter 25, it wasn't huge. It's about in length, about three to four feet long, about two feet, a little over two feet wide and tall as well, covered with gold, both inside and outside. The lid was solid gold that went across the top. There was two figures, there were cherubims, there were angels on top with their angels stretched forward and upward. And it says that where the wings of the cherubim came together to cover, that space in between was symbolized where God's presence was. And inside was the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, well, as well as a jar of manna, and then the staff of Aaron, which symbolized the high priest. And when the ark was set out, it was carried by the priest because it had these rings and the poles went through the poles because you didn't want to touch the ark, but the poles were there, and so they would carry them. And it says this in Numbers chapter 10, verses 35 to 36. It says, Moses said, rise up, O Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. It's like every time they lifted up in the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God moved. It was like, rise up, O Lord. We're moving forward. May your foes flee before us. It was symbolic of God's presence. And God's like, okay, hey, when, when you see the Levite priests move with the ark, we're moving. God's moving, we're moving. That's the first instruction. Next instructions came right after it. And that was to follow, not lead, not take charge, but take the direction that God gives you. Now that's difficult for some of us in here who go to leadership conferences or you've been trained up to lead. You're always being told, you gotta be a leader, you gotta lead, you gotta take charge, right? Right? Parents, you got to take charge. Come on. 
Don't let your kids be running around saying those kind of things. Take charge. Be a leader. So we're ingrained in, in our culture is to take charge. And then we read this, and God's like, um, I want you to follow. Well, doesn't that make sense, though? When you find the ultimate leader who's taking charge, who's worthy of being the leader, you follow them. And here we're supposed to follow the Lord and keep the distance. In other words, don't be running ahead of God. And don't be lagging too far behind. Sometimes we see great things happening in the church or in somebody's life, and we are just so hesitant. We just sort of step back and say, oh, that's cool. How many times is at home has one spouse been on fire for God and the other spouse like, whatever. And don't lag behind. And don't run too far ahead of God either. Before all this happens, though, we're missing, you know, this like there's numbers up there, two, three, four. We're missing one. Look at verse five. Verse five. Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Purify yourselves. <laughs> What's that all about? See, there's various things that made people unclean, especially on the outside. Disease, touching a dead person, childbirth, eating certain foods. And the outward signs of uncleanliness often reflected in inward uncleanliness. And so what God is saying here and what you read through the Old Testament at times was there was purification that was taking place. It included a washing of your clothes, abstaining from certain things in your life. I'm going to clean the outside and at the same time I want to clean the inside. And God says, you need to get the inside clean too. That makes sense, doesn't it? You're going to go meet with God? Don't you think we ought to get cleaned up? You remember your first date? For those of you that have dated or remember back those days, some of you might have been a long time ago. Some of you are like, I can't wait for my first date, right? Grew up on a farm, pig farm. Oh, yeah, so before my first date, guess what I had to do? I had to get cleaned up. Take off the coveralls, get a shower, and throw on some cologne, right? Something. Give me some of Dad's good old, what, Old Spice? Yeah, brute. Yeah, exactly. I don't know who said it, but it's spot on. Yeah, and then it's like, and of course you go walk in and the girl's like, oh, smell like my dad. I never understood that. No, I was like, bad move, okay? But you want to get cleaned up. And in the same way, God's like, you all need to get cleaned up before you meet with me, before you walk with me, before you move with me. Let's get cleaned up. A critical lesson here, church, because I don't think we get it. See, if we want God to act in mighty ways in our lives and in this world, we better get right with him. And when we're not getting right with God, why are we expecting God to go with us or for us to follow him and him be excited about it? Dwight Moody said this, before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray for him to empty us. How true. God, what do I need to get rid of in my life? What sins have been taken over my life? Forgive me, God. Empty me of this sin. Fill me with you. Again, here are the instructions. Get right with God. When God moves, you move. Follow him. Don't lag behind. Don't run ahead of him either. These are the instructions. Sounds great, right? As they're camped by the flooded river. Look at verse 7. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I'm with you, just as I was with Moses. See, Joshua needed to hear this because Joshua was like, God, thank you for the instructions. I got a couple million people here. I got a Jordan River in front of me, flooded, raging, scary. And, and I do not have the confidence to take them across. Moses isn't here with his staff to go, boom, and the water's part, okay? He's not here, God. 
How can I do this? And God's like, I'm going to make you great. So you're lacking some confidence right now, Joshua. And I think a lot of us lack confidence at times. And we're okay with being average, right? And I tell often a lot of the athletes I work with, I say, man, God didn't create you to be average, right? He created you for more than that. Scripture tells us this. We need to be alert to this. We are created in God's image. 1 Corinthians eleven seven says, For man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. We're made in the image of God. We also see in Scripture, Psalm 119, 15, that we reflect God. It says, I will study your commands and reflect your ways. We reflect the God of this universe. You and I are to be imitators of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in all that you do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are masterpieces of God, created to do good things. All through Scripture, we see God saying, You know what? I don't think you see yourself the way I see you. You think you're incapable. You think you are average. I created you for greatness. Obviously not greater than God, but we are created in his image and we reflect him and we imitate him and we are his masterpieces. We have incredible value. God does not create junk, church. When you look in the mirror, look in that mirror with confidence, understanding that God created you just the way he needed to create you, just to be the kind of person that you need to be. And what God creates he always said it was good, right? The trees were good, the bushes were good, the flowers were good, the animals were good. But then when he created mankind in Genesis, he was very good. Very good. When we're created in the image of God, we need to awaken to that and understand that. Because then when that, I understand that, guess what? That changes my outlook on things. Wait, so I, I'm created in the image of God? That should give me a little bit more confidence, Right? And Joshua needed to hear that. Oh, by the way, Joshua, it's not about you being great. It's about the one who makes you great. Let's not forget that. If he's going to lead all these people, he needed a confidence boost from God. And, you know, that's what everybody needed to see, too. They needed to look at Joshua and say, there's a man of God. Let's follow him. Because he's, he's walking in the footsteps of God, right? God makes it clear, though, that he's not... Wanting us to follow just a man, he wants us to follow God. And that God is the one who does these great things. Look at these next three verses. I'm going to put them all together on one screen for you. Joshua told the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow what? Tomorrow what? The Lord will do great wonders among you. Verse 7, the Lord told Joshua, today I will. Again, God's saying, I'm doing this. I'll begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. Verse 10, today you will know that what? The living God is among you. So basically what we're seeing here is God says, yeah, Joshua, you're going to be great, but don't forget, I'm the one who's going to make you great. I'm the one who's going to do all this. I am with you. So just make sure we remember all that, right? So with confidence now, God gives Joshua and the people the opportunity to move forward because God's going to go with them. This great God is going to go with them. Think about this. The first time you ever got on a roller coaster, or again, pick any scary thing you want, okay? Whatever it is that you're like, I would never go in there. I would never get on that. I would never do this, okay? I'm just going to use the example of a roller coaster. You get that roller coaster, you look, you're like, uh-uh, not doing it. I, I, I'm a little nervous, right? Starting to get a little sweaty in the palms. But then you get your friend there, and your friend's like, I'll go with you. Come on, let's do it. I don't know. Then your friend talks you into it, Right? 
and then you reluctantly stand in line and you, and you have to wait for a half hour to an hour and you just sort of keep moving. You're like, and all you're doing is just building anxiety, right? And you just sort of like, oh, we're getting closer. Oh, we're getting closer. And your friend's like, hey, it's all right. I'm there with you. Like, okay. And then you get up there and what's your friend do? Let's get in the front car. And you're like, oh. But then you ride that ride and for most of us, 90% of us were like, that was awesome. Let's do it again, right? But before, remember what happened? I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But what changed? You had somebody said, I'll go with you. And in this moment, it's like everybody's there and they're like, I don't know, I don't know. But God's like, I'm going with you. God's not on vacation. God's not sleeping. God's definitely not dead. He is alive. And he's like, I am going with you. And sometimes we just need to stop moaning and groaning about our circumstances that we all face because we all have them, right? But start cheering because the God of this universe is going with us everywhere we go. He says, I'll drive everybody out. I'll make a way. I'm taking you. I got you. I want to fill my covenant promise. I've made a promise to you. I'm keeping my promise. Let's go. Let's go. He says in verse 10, Today you'll know that the living God is among you. He'll surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and a bunch of other sites that we don't know of, right? And he's going to go in and basically what God's going to do, he's going to go and wipe out all these places before him, before the people get there. And it's like, I'm paving the way for you because this is the promised land, right? And then a lot of us get a little antsy. We're like, wait a minute. God sounds like a violent God. Wiping out all these people. I don't understand that. I read through the Old Testament and it's like, why was God this way? We need to remember this about the people. We get so worried about what God did. First of all, he's God. He makes the decisions, okay? Let's agree with that, that he's worthy to make those decisions. But let's look at the people. The people were anti-God. They were rebellious. They were disobedient. They rejected God and they made people around them reject God. It was evil, pure evil. Basically, if you want to compare it to something physical in your body, we'll call it cancer. I hate to think of it like that, right? But they were cancerous, killing those around. God's like, I got to get rid of the cancer, right? And if you or me, and I've had that cancer, whether it's a skin cancer, or like my dad, prostate cancer, whatever, colon cancer, you know what they do? They go in and they remove the cancer. You know why? So it doesn't spread. And the Israelites were the scalpel in God's hand to go into this, this, these places and basically remove the cancerous situations. God's people were not to be living in the midst of this evil culture. Because he knows why? Because he knows this. When we sort of surround ourselves with other people who are making bad choices, guess what happens next? We make bad choices. When we, when we put ourselves around faulty thinking, guess who, what happens to our thinking? It goes faulty, Right? So we are to separate ourselves from this culture. See, God is what? Holy? Holy means to be separate, right? We are to be his holy people, which means we're supposed to be separate from all these things too. So we see that this is what's going on. Look at verse 11. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord and the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now think about this. Just stop and think about what's going to happen here. The Ark of the Covenant is going to Take us across the Jordan River, the ark. Because a lot of us are like, who's going to do this? The Lord of all the earth, it says, right? Verse 13, it says, 
The priest will carry, let me back up, the priest will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. The Lord of the earth was repeated because I believe that the Lord of all the earth, the one who created the earth, is about ready to use the earth to show himself and reveal himself to these people. It goes on to say, as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off from the upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. And you check out first things first, is that these priests are going to enter into the water. Now, in case you're wondering, this is not an actual picture. Just want to make sure that's clear, okay? Now, I, I apologize for using this picture because you see the water's parting right where the priests go in. That's not what Scripture says, okay? So whoever came up with this picture, thank you, but it's not scripturally true. What we read in the Scriptures, as soon as their feet touched the water, the flow of the water was cut off upstream. That's where the water created, or God created, like a huge dam, so to say, and just put up all the water in one spot. And then the water flow all started to come down around them. But understand this, before the priest stepped into the water, it was still flooded. I don't know if you've ever seen the Maumee River uh, close up at flood stage. Years ago, Colin must have been like 11 or 12. He had a baseball game in Anthony Wayne, and so we all went to the baseball game. And they, even though it, was, it had rained a lot, they were able to play. And so I had Carter and Clay, and they were, they were young enough that you wanted to hold a hand with these boys, right? And it was in between games, and it was like, hey, we got a little bit of time to kill. Hey, boys, let's go down to the river. So I took the two boys and went down to the edge of the Maumee River. And if you've ever been there when it's flowing quick, and we're not talking about branches, but logs that are just flying by, and you're like, wow. You know, I, I remember grabbing onto the boys' hands a little bit tighter and taking a couple of steps back, just thinking, do not let them get near that water, right? It'll just sweep them away. It's a scary thing. And then I read in verse 15, it says, It was harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Again, this is the Jordan River. This is what it's like. Now, it hasn't flooded. It hasn't flooded since February of 1935. And this is a picture from 1935 when the Jordan River flooded. But God's basically saying, All right, priest, you got the ark? All right, step into the water. This is before the water started to stop flowing upstream. You see what's going on here? The priests are going to step into this crazy, fast-moving, flooded river. Who enters the water first? After all of that I just said. Who enters the water first? Don't want to say it out loud, okay? Everybody's like, you just told us the priest. Wrong. The priests were carrying what? The Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant symbolizes what? God, right? Who's the first one in the water? God was. As they stepped into the water, it was the presence of God that went into that water. And God says, you know, it's, it's at its deepest, fastest moving point right now, strong speed. The power is the greatest at this season. And he's showing this is unbearable. This is indescribable. This is impossible. And I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of things in our life right now that feel that way, Right? You look at certain things in your life, unbearable, impossible, no way. That's how these priests felt, right? But who's going to step in with them? God is. And we read in verse 15, it says, As soon as the feet of the priests 
who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge. The water above the point began backing up at a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed into the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Let me hear you say dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Why did I have you say dry? Because to me, that's just amazing. God shows his power and then how powerful of a God that we have, that he stops it upstream and the water starts to go down and then the ground miraculously dries up. Again, these these priests, they're stepping into a raging river and all of a sudden as they're going into it, it starts to settle down a little bit and then slow down and then lower. And then all of a sudden there's dry ground. How does that work? Because I know I've been in my yard before after a heavy rain. And I know if I run around, I'm going to mess up the yard. And if I take a couple hundred people across my yard, it's going to be messed. If I take a couple million people across it, it's a wreck. A bunch of people walking all over mud doesn't make it dry. It just makes it a mess. And God takes this and he Shows them dry ground. I'm not sure how the process works. I just know God is big and good, right? Sometimes put yourself in the position of these people with where you're at right now. Sometimes we expect the miraculous to happen instantaneously. Sort of like Moses, boom, water opens up, right? And they walked across on dry ground. But this time it's Joshua. And they're walking right into the situation. They're walking right into the problems. They're walking right into the impossible. And they had to have faith that God said, go. All right. God's leading the way. If God's going before me into the midst of this, I think I can follow him. And as they go into the water, God's miracle is taking place. But it took place upstream. Like I said, sometimes we expect God to happen, do miracles and it happen instantaneously. Sometimes He acts, but we don't see it all at once. And sometimes he acts over here and we taste it over there, right? When I think about this, sometimes we have to stand in the water and fight the current for a little bit and believe in the promise. Maybe God does it to test our faithfulness to him. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Start walking. I'll walk in front of you. And we're like, I don't want to face this problem. But maybe you need to walk into it because God's already there. And we're supposed to stay in touch with him and in step with him. Look at verse 17. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So before the conquering ever begins, before the battles of Jericho, there's a lot of preparation that's taken place. And that is, are you going to trust God? There might be something bigger coming down the road for you. And before you can maybe trust him in that situation, maybe saying, you've got to trust me right now in this situation. Do you trust him? Is God leading your life? Are you moving with him? Or are you still camped by the river's edge? Are you looking at what lies ahead of you and saying, I don't know? Or are you looking at what lies ahead of you and saying, it's time to move forward? Maybe you're standing at a Jordan River in your life and you're hesitant and moving forward, but you know God's calling you and he's saying, go. Last week I shared with you, God has shown all of us grace and we're to share that grace with others. And we all are like, yes, 
Share God's grace with others. Yes. And then we got to the river's edge. We're like, but I can't share it with that person. Why not? God is with you. He's going with you. I want to encourage you that you know sometimes you have to take that risk if God's calling you forward and adventure into something that he desires. And, but sometimes we're just too content on camping. It's time to maybe leave the tents behind and to step out. It may not even be a Jordan River blockage. It could be just a simple word that's been spoken to you that you just know you need to do in your life. A simple act of obedience. A sin of temptation that you've been dealing with, you just need to leave it behind. You just need to purify yourself. Get right with God. I think you all know what it is. I ask the worship team to come forward. As they're coming forward, I encourage you, church, I implore you to step into that Jordan River, whatever it is you're facing. I mean, do you believe God? If, if you're in here today and you say, I've confessed with my mouth, I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my Savior. And you say, I believe in Him. Let me ask you, do you really believe in Him? Because if you believe in Him, you act on it, right? I was journaling this week. I was reading John 7, and it said in John 7, this is verse 5, that the brothers of Jesus didn't even believe Him. I mean, there's a, it's, it's recorded. His brothers didn't believe in him. I'm thinking, his own brothers? I mean, here we are. We're living a couple thousand years after Jesus, and we believe in him, but his own brothers didn't believe in him? Verse 7, the world hates Jesus because why? He pointed out truth. Verse 13, no one had the courage to speak favorably about Jesus in public. They were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Like, I don't want to talk about Jesus because someone might get in trouble. Oh, that sounds actually sort of familiar today, right? The world's confused about Jesus. Verse 12, they called Jesus a good man. They also called him a fraud. Verse 26, they called him the Messiah. But verse 41, they said he isn't the Messiah. Verse 20, they said he was demon-possessed. Verse 40, it says he's the prophet. The opinions of Jesus were all over the place. Church, you are the church body. You know truth. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You know exactly who he is. You know he is the Messiah. The crowd was divided about him, it says in verse 43 and verse 49. The religious leaders called the people foolish. But the religious leaders didn't even believe. The point is this. The world is confused about Jesus. They don't know who Jesus is. They have no clue to who he is. You do. I do. So as we stand at the river's edge, maybe fearful about sharing Jesus with others, step into the waters. Trust him. God goes before you. I'm not sure it is what you're facing. God knows. Trust him. He's a good, good father. We just sang it, right? We'd be hypocrites to sing it, but then not live it. Amen? Let's live it out. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for truth, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you equipped Joshua who is feeling pretty uh, unsure of himself, lacking confidence. And you reminded him that you were God and that you were with him and that he needed to move forward. But as a leader, he didn't have to take the first step by himself. You went with him. As the ark carried by the priest stepped into that dangerous situation, you stepped into it first. You do the same with us. God, right now where we're standing, 
for watching online, sitting in a chair, for standing in this room, wherever we are. God, search our hearts. Help us to be real and honest with you and say, God, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what scares me. This is what I'm hesitant about. I don't know if I can do this. God, help us to be honest with you right now and just say that to you. God, this is my Jordan River. God, help me to step into it because you're with me. Maybe, God, we need those few days, that, that moment of preparation. But God, when you call us to move, it's time to move. Help us to be obedient and move with you. Help us not to lag behind. Help us not to run ahead, not to jump too quick into this. Help us to trust you. And when you say, go, let us go. Help us to hear that, Lord. God, purify us. Lord, we want this world to to know you, but God, we, we better make sure we're right with you first. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Purify us, Lord. Help us now, Lord, as your saints, those who have been saved, who have been shown your amazing grace, help us to share that with others now, Lord. God, you are so awesome. Thank you. Thank you for who you are, Lord. We love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.